It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat, blood, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who, at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold, timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. These are the rules of the arena. Welcome everyone to Rules of the Arena episode 25. This episode is made possible by Blind Ninja Studios, where you can find this show and others such as Department of Offense, Homebrew Bound, Soundwave, and Legends of Lothos. Uh, it is also brought to you by Duck Hill Workshop, a small-scale sawmill, and Builders of Fine Furniture. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at Duck Hill Workshop. And don't forget to subscribe to their YouTube channel, where you can watch episodes of Workshop Wednesday and In the Shop with Ben and Glenn. In this week, <laughs> this week in studio with me, as always, is my co-host Ben. Indeed, and super producer Casey. I want to go back the curtain. to bed. Who <laughs> <laughs> I, I woke up from a slumber uh, to you know get the studio put together and back into one piece again. And joining us all the way from Tennessee is Samantha Way, owner and founder of the Samantha Way, and host of newly launched podcast Good and Good for You. Thanks for taking time out of your evening to spend or you know, to call in to talk to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really, I have to say that your name and then your business name are just the best. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me so happy. That took well, me thank both. you. It cost me a whole eleven dollars and eighty-seven cents to uh, <laughs> to make it mine. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll trade you. Uh, just for everyone listening that doesn't know you, introduce yourself a little bit and tell us what exactly is the Samantha Way. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like you said, my name is Samantha. I am a 25-year-old who lives in Tennessee, and a little over a year ago, I quit my full-time job and decided that I wanted to do something that I felt more fulfilled in doing. So, I went to a conference that talked about creating online courses for people, and at that online course academy, um, they told us find your specialty, find your niche. What is your niche? So, um, leaving there, uh, I decided that my niche was food sensitivities because I have struggled with food sensitivities for about the last seven years or so. Um, or at least I've acknowledged them for the last seven years. And because of that, uh, in college, I had a lot of people ask me, you know, at first I was teased, why do you want almond milk? And why are you doing gluten-free? Is it just a fad? And then I started to get kind of more shy questions, but questions of like, if I don't feel good after I have milk, does that mean I have a dairy sensitivity? And so in my years, specifically in college, I really got a great exposure to people who had questions, but didn't feel like there was a lot of information. And um, so through kind of like looking back through my past and what I was passionate about, food sensitivities was kind of, it, it was, that's what it was. I love Food, I think food is powerful, and I want to help people feel better through food. So that's kind of how The Samantha Way got started. The idea behind The Samantha Way is creating your way of doing things. So I'm fortunate enough to have a last name where I'm allowed to uh, use that <laughs> uh, to my leverage. But the idea is that everybody's body is so different. You and I could both have a gluten sensitivity, but my gluten sensitivity could react as could express the reaction of it could be depression. And I think it's so interesting because they are vague symptoms that can be seen as normal. And 
um, a lot of times people are brushed off and told that their symptoms are no normal. So my goal is to help people feel heard and then to start with food. So, I mean, for someone like me and I'm listening to this or, you know, maybe I popped on the Instagram or Facebook and I read some snake oil salesman who says, and now I believe I'm gluten-free, but how do I go about my own and start to research that? And how do I find sources that I can trust? Yeah, absolutely. So gluten sensitivity and dairy sensitivity are definitely two of the largest talked about sensitivities. So those are ones that people kind of dismiss more often when you have them, but we are starting to see uh, them be acknowledged more in restaurants and such. Going about figuring out your food sensitivity is definitely something that you have to be ready and really passionate about because it can be a long, kind of difficult road. Um, how I went about it when I first started was in the ninth grade, I got a blood test and it came back with all of these results. And it said, you are sensitive to the 21 following foods. And as a 14 year old, it's very overwhelming. So I did what all 14 year olds did. And I said, I'm going to ignore all of those. Uh, what I had to do to really understand my food sensitivities is I had to remove them one by one and give myself about four weeks. So it's called an elimination diet. Give myself about four weeks because that's the amount of time that it takes for your body to really kind of clear out any leftover gluten or dairy or any food sensitivity for that matter and then add it back in. Um, there's a lot of research that you can do. Who do you trust? I always would suggest to look into uh, functional medicine doctors. I think that that's Food is really more their realm than a medicine doctor, a traditional medicine doctor. Um, my mom is a chiropractor, nutritionist, functional medicine doctor. So she has really been my touchstone through all of this and has helped me work through a lot of issues with food. Uh, there's also another uh, doctor called Dr. Bob Rakowski, and he is in Texas. And he's also a functional medicine doctor, practitioner, and he's really knowledgeable on food sensitivities too. So there's a lot of uh, functional medicine doctors who are knowledgeable in the realm, but my go-to response, and I'm always very long-winded, but my go-to response is if you want to find out if you have a food sensitivity, you got to do the testing on yourself because our reactions are going to be different. And you don't really, you can't always differentiate like, oh, I'm feeling depressed or oh, I'm feeling bloated after I eat, if that's how you feel every day after you eat. So it's about understanding A, what your normal is. So are you bloated, gassy? Do you have rashes a lot? Do you have these like normal symptoms that we're being told are normal um, every day? And if so, we need to remove foods that are causing them so that you can notice what life is like without them. And then once you add them back in, you have one, you have that firsthand experience of like, oh, that's why I feel so crappy after I eat mac and cheese is because I have a dairy sensitivity. Or road rage symptoms, which ironically, I was actually listening to episode two of your podcast. Uh, right when Dr. Erica Way got into, you know, I, I noticed my road rage went down as I was coming completely uncorked with somebody in front of me who cut me off, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating, right? Because it just kind of, A, helps you understand better that food is so powerful. And I think we live in a society where food is big, right? You There are a lot of fad diets. There are a lot of get rich, quick schemes where it's like, here, one day you're going to have only dairy and one day you're going to have only fruit. And at the end of the week, you're going to lose seven pounds. My passion with food sensitivities is not about how you look. It has nothing to do with how you look. Yes, can you lose weight? 
when you do my food sensitivity challenge, absolutely you can lose weight. But that's because you're not inflamed from all the foods you are eating. But the goal of my programs and my passion is that it is about how you feel because when you feel better, you're nicer to people, you're nicer to yourself, you have more energy. And I believe that everyone deserves to have a life where they are not overwhelmed with chronic pain and exhaustion. And that's just not a life that you want to live where you have to be constantly taking all of these uppers and downers and everything. So my, my belief is more about how you feel and less about how you look. I think you should do this, uh, this diet, Gordon. Uh, you Anything that would make you more pleasant. <laughs> we, we passed that. that train kept going. Um, so jumping back a little bit, uh, could you tell us what a functional medicine doctor is? Because I have never heard that term. Yeah, absolutely. So functional medicine is about getting to the root cause of a problem. Now, I want to state first that I believe that traditional medicine doctors are very important and bring a lot to the table. The difference between traditional and functional medicine is that functional medicine, when you go to a doctor and you say, I'm feeling anxious, what what do they typically prescribe to you? Some sort of anti-anxiety or Drugs. antidepressant, whatever. Correct. Opioid. Right. Right. Some sort of some sort of antidepressant or anxiety or but when you take that pill, the idea is that it lessens your symptoms, which is great and we need that. But if you don't take the pill, do your symptoms typically come back? Eventually. In theory, yes. We'll say, In theory. Yeah. Right. The idea behind functional medicine is instead of giving you a pill and saying, here, we're going to cover up the symptom, because that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is a symptom, and it's your body telling you that something is not right. A functional medicine says, okay, so you're feeling anxious. Let's look at a couple different factors. Let's look at your food. Let's look at your exercise. Let's look at your medical history. What prescriptions are you already on? And they really find the root cause, which could be as simple as a food sensitivity, or it could be something more extreme like a hidden gut infection. So my mom, for example, has had a couple of patients where they come in and their doctor have said like, you're probably not going to live much longer. Um, your charts are off and we can't really figure out what's going on. I would get your affairs in order. And I think by all means, the doctors mean well and they want to take care of their patients. Um, but then they come to my mom and my mom is like, okay, well, we did a couple different lab tests and we found that you have a hidden gut infection and we should probably remove some foods from your diet. And they're able to come back from that. So hmm. functional medicine is more about finding, instead of covering up the symptom, with prescription medication or anything like that, or what's the word I'm looking for? A prescription. Um, they look at why the symptom is being expressed and how they can fix the root cause of that. And you mentioned, you know, when you first had that food sensitivity and you found out you shouldn't be eating A, B, and C, and you just dismissed it right off the bat. I mean, was that a lot of peer pressure or was that just you? Well, I like these foods and I want to continue to eat them. That's a good question. Um, I think it was both. I was 14 and at 14 you think you're invincible and that nothing is ever going to hurt you. I'm 25 now. I realize that's not as true, but <laughs> at 14, I just, I thought it was kind of a hoax. I do remember though, too, my dad was very anti-food sensitivities. He thought they were stupid. He thought they were in your head. And so every time I would like slowly start to investigate if that was true or not, he'd be like, a little chocolate isn't going to hurt anybody. So that 
coupled with my mom really wanting it was like the perfect teenage reason to be like, I'm just going to leave it alone. Hmm. Um, and so I did that for four years, four years. I ate whatever I wanted. Um, and then I got to college and I was a freshman in college and I was sick all the time. And it was one of those colds that just didn't go away. Right. Like you'd feel better, but you still had a cough. And then by the time the cough started to go away, something else was coming up. And I found myself not being able to stay awake in class or function really on a daily basis. But then at night I couldn't fall asleep and I was drinking funny to say it now so much Mountain Dew that I was embarrassed and I would put it in like a to go mug and I would carry it with me. So it looked like I was drinking coffee Um, (laughs) because that's the socially acceptable stimulant. I was exhausted. So uh, I called my mom and she has a little laminated card that's in her wallet that has all my food sensitivities on it. And she pulled it out (laughs) and she was like, you ready to try this? Oh, here we are, seven years later. <laughs> <laughs> Is it possible to be sensitive to caffeine? Because Yeah, absolutely. Oh, shit. <clears throat> and beer. <laughs> what would you do, Gordon, if someone told you you were sensitive <clears throat> to the gluten in beer? Yeah, I'd be shocked if I made it to 50 without it. So, I mean, <laughs> so just keep going. <laughs> Gordon, we'd put you on a gluten-free beer and you'd start to feel better. Yeah, Don't worry. But it'll taste like out. ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can go straight whiskey. That's fine if I can make sacrifices. <laughs> uh, whiskey also has rye in it. You would have to do like a scotch. Well, if you're going to twist my arm. Okay. Yeah, start. Let's do scotch. You can do tequila and vodka, but whiskey, not so much. Yeah, I'm not a vodka fan myself. <laughs> you have to stick to the clear alcohols, Gordon. <laughs> clear alcohol is for rich white you're women. You're becoming on basic AF. <laughs> <laughs> and the Ugg boots are straight. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Gordon in jeggings and Ugg boots. <laughs> There's an image I'll never get out of my head. <laughs> Where's a Shrek costume when you need it? <laughs> to get back on track. So, <laughs> so you started, you know, your your mom came back to you with, you know, the foods that you're working with. What made you want to go into or design a business around, you know, the food sensitivities? Why not something, uh, lack of better words, easier to market? Yeah, Um, because I don't think, not I don't think, when I went through it, there wasn't a lot of knowledge on it. Um, I was really lucky to have a mom who had gone through college and really understood food sensitivities, but I remember people, and the only, like, sensitivity that people really accepted when I started going through it was, like, lactose intolerant. We still see that, right? Like, people are like, oh, yeah, you're lactose intolerant. That's fine. But you say gluten-free, and people are like, oh, you're just trying to lose weight. Um, Mm. And I really wanted to change that because college at first was really hard going through removing certain foods from my diet. And one of my, I will say, uh, biggest accomplishments at UW-Platteville was that I got almond milk in the coffee shops. And that was a very big deal because I didn't like soy milk and soy milk mimics estrogen. It's a whole other thing. We can go with this another conversation for another podcast. But, um, but really starting to like speak up because there are a lot of people who had sensitivities who, because it was so uncomfortable, that conversation of like having to explain I have a sensitivity – they would eat the food that they were sensitive to and then not feel good uh, for a longer period of time than that uncomfortable situation. And I wanted to kind of be that advocate. So um, I guess I did it because it wasn't easy and it isn't super marketable and it's not common. Um, And I'm looking for people who are ready to take that next step. And that may not be a huge group right away, but 
I do believe that when you're ready, you make that choice. It took me four years. It takes people a lot longer than that sometimes. So it's about helping people where they are and giving them resources until they're ready to start that journey. I remember, I can't remember if it was a Facebook post or one of your live sessions, um, but you said, you know, I challenge you to take dairy out of your diet for X amount of time. It's like, um, those are fighting words here in Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, and I, I did kind of think about it. And then, then again, listening to, I, I believe is episode two again, where you touch base on the emotional connection people have to food. And it's like, that's not a real, and I'm now driving for three and a half hours. Like, do I have an emotional connection to food? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> what does Gordon do when he's angry? Well, Eat. Well, there's a reason we call it comfort food. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah. Food is so powerful. And um, I've struggled on and off with an eating disorder since probably since I was like 18. So my dad passed away when I was 17 years old and I chose not to go to therapy. Uh, and so what I learned very quickly is that shoving that emotion away doesn't make it go away. Um, and it came back as an eating disorder. And so I've struggled with that on and off and I'm just fascinated always by how powerful food is and how we use food as love, right? So my first job out of college, was at a destination management company that I now work part-time for. And we would get donuts, we would get cookies, we would get cake. But all of that was vendor's way of saying like, thank you so much for bringing us business. It's this like, we love you guys, we appreciate you, food is love. So when I would say no thank you to the donut, and I hadn't yet told anybody that I was like gluten-free and dairy-free, it was this kind of like, but we did this because we care about you, right? Like there's like that offend there's that like they felt offended by that. Um, so that's another part of food is like giving up food can be really hard for you. But sometimes the hardest part about giving up a food is how other people respond to you choosing to do so. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. Even, you know, working in the event industry, what do people do for the, the techies and behind the scenes staff? Like they turn you loose on the salad or on the, the buffet or all the donuts or whatever they've brought in. And, if, yeah, if you sat and be like, oh, no, I'm going to eat my gluten-free sandwich. <clears throat> I don't even know what a substitute <laughs> is. Uh, you know, like, I can't imagine working middle-of-the-night shifts without, like, donuts and free coffee. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think it's the Midwestern way, you know, every, if somebody loses a family member, everybody in the neighborhood or in the cul-de-sac brings over a casserole. Funeral some sort. potatoes. <laughs> a, a hot dish to yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, hot <laughs> dish, <clears throat> Yeah, food is love. Food is love. It yeah. is comfort. It's a punishment. Some, you know, like, not not that men don't, but women specifically use it as they restrict and they binge. And there's a lot of really weird emotions or, like, secretive emotions behind eating, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a whole other role. And one thing on this program I have coming up that I'm working on is – really having a section about understanding the emotion because what is so cool about food is yes, it's emotional, but when you get to the root cause, kind of like functional medicine, it's never about the food, right? When you have an eating disorder, when you're struggling with binging or purging or whatever that is or restricting, it's not about food. It's about something deeper. So for me, that's been losing my dad when I was 17, and that's been struggling with quitting my job and trying to figure out who I am. And, you know, so 
there's such a mental health component to it also, which is not my realm and I'm not certified in, but I will have a portion in my next program where we just kind of talk about why counseling is important. And if you are struggling with food to really start to look at the emotions behind it and maybe kind of thinking more about how they connect with other parts of your life that maybe you're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. So with that, I mean, your, your program that you're coming up with, I mean, it seems like every time you go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, there's a new tea that guarantees abs in seven days or a new diet program that's better than the other hundred that came out or a wrap or a patch. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. Eat this and feel better about, you know, the snake oil salesmen of the, of the internet. I mean, what do you, what are you doing that is different? I mean, what do you offer as far as, uh, services or such? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I've done a couple of these, but at the end of April, beginning of May, Excuse me. I am coming out with a food sensitivity program. So the idea behind this program is figuring out food sensitivities on your own. You can absolutely do. You can do some research. You can look up what a food sensitivity is. But this program was created after years of me going through and testing my own methods. Um, But what's different about it is there's education involved. So we not only talk about food sensitivities, but we talk about how ignoring them for the rest of your life can cause autoimmune diseases, can cause cancer, can really wreak havoc on your whole body and how food sensitivities are not just something that are in your head. We talk about leaky gut and why that's such a big issue. We talk about inflammation and what it is because I think a lot of these are big buzzwords, right? You can go online and you can say uh, leaky gut and leaky brain, but what are they and why do they matter? And especially when there's so much going on on the internet, sometimes you're like, I don't, I don't really care. So in this course, The first couple of weeks are um, a lot of education, a lot of just like short clips where we talk about why it's important and why food sensitivities need to be addressed. Then there is a one-on-one support where we go through a list of the top most common food sensitivities and you get to decide how many you would like to remove because this isn't about me and it's not about my journey it's about what you're ready and you feel comfortable with and if you jump into a program because I've designed it and I've said you have to give up 15 foods I think that's setting you up for failure if you're not ready to do that and you want to just take gluten out then you will just take gluten out and that's okay and then I provide you with recipes um, and a grocery list to get you started and we talk about things like reading labels and feeling empowered because the goal of my program is to educate you is to help you understand what your food sensitivities are and what your reactions look like so we remove foods for a period of time and then you add them in one by one or if you just took out one you add it in and then for the next 72 hours so a food sensitivity can take up to 72 hours for you to see a reaction you monitor yourself. You have a book, a notebook that you carry with you and you just jot down like, okay, so I'm feeling kind of anxious. I'm feeling bloated. I immediately got tired right after I ate that. You're monitoring because this is about you understanding. And then at the end, if you're like, you know what? I know I feel better without the dairy, but I'm not ready to give it up. You go right ahead. You can go right back on that dairy and there's no judgment. It is just about you being ready to take that next step. And I've had people do both. I've had people remove eight foods from their diet, notice that four of them caused gas, exhaustion, anxiety, and add them right back in because they just weren't ready. And that's not my place to tell you that you're not ready, but my hope is that you feel empowered 
to then take that next step when you're ready. And I just want to show you that there is support and there is a community out here when you're ready to do so. So it seems like you're, it's not a cut and paste or ebook that you just download and somebody has to go step by step. You, I mean, you're very, you're um, very hands on and hands on catering, if you yeah. will, to each client that you work with. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's important because our bodies are so different and it's such a disservice to people when we tell you, here's a diet program that worked for me and then it doesn't work for you. And then you think somehow that you failed. And I think mm -hmm. that that is such a disservice to people, right? We see these fad diets and we see people get on a diet where they lose 25 pounds like that. And then they gain that back and more because then there's no sustainable plan afterwards. And like I said, my program is not for people who want to lose weight. And I'm uh, currently in the middle of finishing up some details for my website for this next program. But I specifically say that if you are here to lose weight, that's not what this program is for. You are welcome to be a part of it, but I can't promise you that, that will, that's what will happen. My goal is that you feel better. My goal is that you sleep better. My goal is that you have more energy and that you don't feel sick, lethargic, any of those symptoms anymore. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's that's really important in in what we're seeing coming out for most people that is just really cut and paste here whether they're whether it's just food or you know a, a diet plan or a meal plan or whether it's combined with exercise or anything else like people just get thrown into something they're not ready for and there's no support system for it. I think yeah. that's huge. Maybe. And I think that that works for people though, right? I mean like I also believe that we all have our own health and wellness journey. Mine was four years of eating chocolate chip cookies and drinking Mountain Dew and I needed to do that to get to a place where I felt horrible <laughs> all the time. I, I needed that. Now some people, they don't need that. They need like – I have a few friends where I say, hey, if you cut dairy out, you'll feel better or you could feel better is actually more what I would say. And then they cut dairy out. And that's it. It's cold turkey, and that's how they work. And I want to be able to cater to that person, and I want to be able to cater to the person who's like, I just I just want to feel better, and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I've tried keto, and I've tried this. And and if you don't – if you regardless of what diet you tried, this is what it comes down to. If mm -hmm. you're eating a food that you're sensitive to, you're still going to struggle in that diet, right. but you're never going to know because you can be sensitive to strawberries, mm -hmm. bananas – Broccoli. Broccoli is a huge sensitivity. Avocados are big. So it really is about the food that you eat. And once you understand that, then if you want to jump into another diet, great. But then you can modify and know that, okay, I'm going to do keto, but I can't have avocados because they they uh, cause anxiety or hmm. whatever your symptom may be. Is there any food that doesn't have a sensitivity? Um, well, well, we can talk. Let's talk about sensitivities. Yeah. So, uh, a food sensitivity is your immune's response to a food, kind of like a virus. And what happens is your body earmarks that food and starts to see it as an invader. So every hmm. time that food enters your body, your body attacks it. That causes inflammation. So can any food be a sensitivity or can any food not be a sensitivity? It really depends on the person. Um, the reason I, I believe that we are seeing such a huge increase in food sensitivities is because our bodies are in such an inflamed state that leaky gut is such a big topic right now because essentially what it is is we have what's called tight gap junction. I'm going to do a little visual for you. Tight gap junctions in our gut. And when you eat an inflammatory diet and your gut is constantly being hit with inflammation and doesn't have time to recover, so chronic inflammation – 
the tight gap junctions start to separate and food is able to then slip through those into your bloodstream. Hmm. Now the problem with that is food is not supposed to be in your bloodstream. So white blood cells see that and they earmark it as an invader. So the first thing is that, yes, all I believe all foods can become a food sensitivity. Now I believe that things like gluten and dairy are so big in the food sensitivity realm because they are so different um, than what they used to be. And I'll say this for the rest of my life, we are the only mammal in the world that has milk after the age of two and it's not our own. So I believe cow's milk is beautiful, but it is created for a baby cow, not humans <laughs> for the rest of my life. But it tastes good. <laughs> Ice cream tastes good. <laughs> right. uh, so what's the difference between a sensitivity and an allergy? Yeah. So a sensitivity and an allergy is basically the reaction. Um, food sensitivities can turn into allergies. So one thing that I was um, made aware of is that if I had kept eating gluten, it could turn into a gluten allergy, which is called celiac disease, which mm -hmm. is life-threatening and some people have died from celiac disease. So the difference is they're both an immune response, but the response for an allergic reaction is more immediate um, and more life-threatening. Um, so that's really the difference is the response of it all. Um, and again, some people, there's research saying that some people are born with the allergies, um, which I believe is true, um, but they can also be developed over time, right? You see people who never used to have a problem with milk and all of a sudden it doesn't make them feel good. And so you can develop both, but some people have them right out the get-go. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, if you can develop, <clears throat> because I've talked to uh, people back at, you know, that blamed the uh, UW or Falls uh I don't know what the actual term we call this slop trough. <laughs> the ice cream. <laughs> no, 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 they they blamed it uh, for developing a gluten intolerance. Oh, and huh. it's like I don't think that's how that works. But that was I don't know ten years ago now. Well, and gluten intolerances, I believe, and we're seeing more and more research on develop because of the chemicals in our our system or in that's in gluten, right? So we are now seeing. Um, genetically modified everything. There's more and more chemicals in our food and more pesticides. Pesticides that are illegal in other countries are not illegal here. Um, so I have friends who can't have gluten or dairy here in the United States and then go to Italy and eat bread and cheese for the whole week and feel just fine. So oh, we, that's we know that it's chemicals. We know that that plays a huge role in it. So yes, I, I believe that if you eat enough gluten and you're causing enough inflammation in your body, then then you can develop a sensitivity. But that that has less to do, I mean, I don't know the situation of that story, but that has less to do with your general environment and more with you choosing to eat gluten. Hmm. That's. I think that's interesting, the, the comment about being able to go to another country where certain things are used or not used um, and having the foods that you're sensitive to be fine. Um, my only example of that is the last time I was in Germany and... Uh, I drank my way through for two weeks, <clears throat> and <laughs> um, but I never got a hangover. Like the whole time, I was fine, and then I came home, and you even tried to moderately recreate that at home, and it was a, not a good experience. Um, and just the way, the different way that they handle their beers, but also the way they handle the material that goes into them. 
Yeah, it's crazy how many pesticides and different chemicals that are illegal in so many other countries in the world and the United States. That's not, we're not there yet, which is really disheartening. Um, but we are seeing people sicker than we've ever seen before. And we are seeing a rise in diabetes and we are seeing a rise in autism and all of these autoimmune diseases. And I don't believe that food can cure everything, but I do believe that it's a great starting point. Um, but you have to be eating the right foods. And so, yeah, so I think that uh, hopefully in the near future, we'll start to see. I mean, we're already seeing. In California, there was a gentleman who just settled with Monsanto, Ooh. and I think he was awarded quite a few million dollars well, um, got because he had gotten really <laughs> sick from being a gardener for years and using their chemicals. Hmm. So That's... hopefully, fingers crossed, we start to see some uh, some laws change on what's allowed and what's not allowed I mean, on our foods. That would be amazing just to have the, that information, have our legislation be influenced by actual science and not by... Industry Money. lobby. Right. Correct. I, agree. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions on that. I think this table has a lot of opinions on that. But. Yeah, it's for another podcast. <laughs> I, I'm also true. And uh, you know, I started seeing, well, Ben put me in touch with you, uh, I want to say it was last year, <clears throat> last uh, summer, give or take. Probably. And that's when I started yep. following you know, the stuff that you started posting. It didn't really ping any radar with me until I was listening to a hunting podcast and they were talking, you know, they, you know, they're talking about fall you know, bear hunting in particular. And they had one bear that the fat was actually purple because the primary diet was blueberries. Mm. And then they had, he went to another part, uh, he was up in Canada somewhere and they were smoking bear and it smelled like salmon because that bear ate salmon. And what the host of that show goes, Oh, it kind of makes you think, you know, what do my insides look like? What, you know, if I eat too many Skittles, do I have rainbow fat? It's like, <laughs> okay, if I put one and one together, sh- I should probably look at what I eat. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's fascinating because we are now finding that if we were, if someone were to eat us, we contain so many pesticides that we would be dangerous to eat. Really? I'd take that, aliens. <laughs> I feel like that's a defense mechanism. <laughs> well, there's that, too. And it's really cool because that goes for the food that we eat, too, right? Just like mm-hmm. those bears. That's why when it comes to – and, again, I believe that there is some privilege when it comes to food sensitivities. You're allowed to remove – whatever you want and you don't have to have money to do that, but it is expensive to eat organic, whole, clean food. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope that we can change that soon. But that being said, when you're looking at what food you're eating, it's really, really important because you are what your food eats. So if you are eating chicken that eats a high grain diet, then you, your body is beginning to process that meat as a grain, as opposed to a protein, because the whole makeup of that chicken is corn if it's been eating corn its whole life. So now it's important to look at like what your food is eating because you could be eating a really healthy diet full of good proteins, lean meat. But if you're like, I still don't feel good when I eat chicken, it could be because your chicken is eating grain and you could have a sensitivity to corn. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't think of it that way. That changes, you know, you feel good being like, hey, I've got, I I have farm-raised pork or I have farm-raised chickens. And then suddenly you're like, wait a minute, I feed them grain and or corn and soybeans. And I've, I've never noticed that with chicken, but I mean, I, with beef in particular, I know a lot of people prefer the corn-fed beef because it has a fattier uh, um, taste to it and versus a grass-fed where I like lean meat and I like 
so I prefer the grass-fed myself, but huh, didn't think you'd do it with all animals, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it highlights the fact that there's credible evidence that what we eat affects our physical makeup, and that's something that not think people don't think about. Well, and it's so easy to trust food companies, right? I mean, I remember thinking, I remember being that person who did the low-fat, low-calorie diets and the the foods and why wouldn't you trust a food company why wouldn't a food company have your best interest in mind because it's about money they're like right. any other business right i mean when you look at the low calorie whatever those buzzwords on labels it's important to look on the back of the ingredient label because a lot of that's chemicals and we don't 100% understand the ramifications of all of these chemicals but we know that they're being added and that it may say sugar free but the FDA and different departments don't necessarily require people to actually mm-hmm. put the sugar that's added into food. That's not a legal requirement. Hmm. Like when you see when you see those labels, the sugar-free, low-fat, low-carb, or whatever. What's the? There's a meme that goes around that says what it actually means is chemical shitstorm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we're even seeing things like if you look on the back of a packet of. Um, chewing gum or in Diet Coke, there's a chemical called aspartame Mm -hmm. in a lot of things. And aspartame is a neurotoxin. So it affects you on a neural level. But what's fascinating about neurotoxins is that we don't have organs in our bodies to get rid of them. So what your body does is it covers it in fat. So by drinking Diet Coke, you are actually gaining weight because your body's like, well, I don't know what to do with this. And to protect you, it covers it in fat. Huh. Huh. fascinating. As far you know, talking to people about this stuff, um, have you got any pushback from skeptics? I mean, how do you, what do you tell them or how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to food sensitivities, I'm getting less and less, less and less pushback. Um, it really depends on the person, but a big, a pretty normal response I get is people want to talk about the diets that they're on and the, the foods that they're choosing. And that's great. Um, I think people are now starting to believe a little bit more in food sensitivities, but a lot of the skeptics that I get, I personally believe just aren't ready for that phase in their life. They're they're They feel the diets that they've been on and the workouts that they're doing and the health kicks that they're on probably are working for them at that point. Um, and that's okay. My, one of the hardest parts about this entrepreneurship that I'm attempting is that my audience isn't, hundreds of thousands of people, but I also want people who are interested in taking their health to the next level. And I want people who are ready to take that step. So I'm really grateful for critics and for people who are super skeptical because if they want to sit and they want to have a conversation, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to chat, um, send them resources. I've, I've done that before, but if they're just wanting to fight me on something, which sometimes they do, then those aren't the people who I want following my program because it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what information I bring or what knowledge. They just kind of want to bicker, and that's not something I'm super interested in. If you want to have an intelligent conversation, great. But if you want to just fight me because you want to tell me that what I'm doing isn't right, then I don't think that that would be a productive conversation for either of us. It's terrible that trying to help people is a bad thing. Like, <laughs> Well, it really I, – I, I think it's interesting because it really goes back to that like how people then project their own – insecurities onto you and again you could disagree with my food sensitivities and not have insecurities at all but 
what I get a lot of times when I talk about food sensitivities or when I say no thank you to certain foods is people being like, again, my interpretation is, well, if I don't remember remove certain foods from my diet, then what do you think of me? Do you mm. think that I'm unhealthy? Do you think that I'm – and here's the thing. It has nothing to do with you. When I remove a food, it has everything to do with me. So that's something that we talk a lot about um, in this program I'm putting together is the questions to ask. So a lot of times the hardest part is when you don't have support from family members. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had that. Not specifically. My family has been really great about it. Um, but I've had friends and coworkers and such – think that it was all in my head and that it was silly that I was doing it. And, you know, response is like, well, why does that upset you so much? Or what about me removing food makes, makes you react this way? Are you concerned about my health? Are you right? Like really asking those questions because allowing other people to be like, whoa, (laughs) I was just mad and kind of confused as to why you were refusing my donut, but making them like really think about why they're responding the way they're responding proves to have a whole different response. And there are going to be some people who shut down and who don't want to have that. Um, But that like health shaming, I think is what some people have phrased it as is real. And it is, it doesn't make it easier to when you're trying to feel better and you're trying to figure out why you don't feel good. And then you have someone who you love and who you care about or who you're friends with saying like, well, that's stupid that you're doing that and nothing's going to change. Do you find some of it could be education? You know, growing up, I, I, grew up with the food pyramid where you have your 10 to 12 grains, uh, servings of grains, and then you got your proteins and veggies and blah, blah, blah. They put the best on top. Yeah. (laughs) Sugar. sugar? All of the sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Processed, refined, good for you sugar. Pure white sugar. (laughs) Pour it in my mouth. Do you find it's education or do you find there's some people out there are stuck in their ways? You know, um, like if you were to come to me and say, well, you can't, you should take beer out of your diet. I'm probably going to respond with, let's just pump the brakes here for a split second. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about this rationally. (laughs) You know, I think it is some of its education, but I think it's really about being in a place where you're ready to feel better. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I could sit and if I was like, if you came to me and you said, hey, Sam, you know, I don't feel super great. And it may not even be feel super great. It may be like I'm tired a lot and I don't have a lot of energy or I'm really moody lately or I'm really distant or anxious and I don't really know what's going on. Do you think removing foods or what do you think I should do? I get that a lot. Um, The only way you can really make progress, just like when you start to, when you start a diet program and you start to see yourself make that progress and you lose weight, you are more likely to stay away from that next cake and next cookie. Cause you're like, I feel good right now. You have to experience it. You really do. You have to remove that food. And there's like this mental clarity that can happen and that I've experienced and then add it back in. So that's my favorite part of my program is the week where we add things back in because you're kind of playing scientist on yourself and you get this like rush of emotions or you get this kind of like brain fog. And I think brain fog is a buzzword, but that feeling where like it hurts to think and you have a hard time like really focusing. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I thought that this was my life. My whole last whatever, 15 years, this is how I felt every day. And you're telling me this isn't normal. So I think when it comes to that question, I always say if, if you're ready and willing to give it up, I'll be here to support you and I'll work with you through it. But you really have to experience 
how good it feels to feel good. And you have to experience what your normal is, right? So at the beginning of my program, we take a what is your normal exam, which is just like a quiz where I ask you like how you feel on a daily basis and do you experience these symptoms. And at the end, before you add the foods back in, we reevaluate and we see if anything has changed because sometimes you don't even notice things have changed until you start to add the foods back in and you're like, mm. oh, this feels horrible. How have I been surviving like this? But that is what's so cool about the human body is that it compensates for you, right? When you are feeling inflamed, chronic inflammation, the reason you don't feel it is because your body literally is protecting you from it. And when, it's, when you start to see those symptoms like chronic fatigue or you're bloated all the time or you're having anxiety frequently, that's your body being like, hey, 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 I have compensated for the last 15 years or whatever and I can't do it anymore and I'm showing you this because I need your help and I need you to intervene. So it's really cool because we talk about having your body listen to you and now I'm off on a tangent, but having your <laughs> body, having you listen to your body and then we talk about um, the importance of being ready and willing to do it because if you're not, me pushing you isn't going to make you want to do mm -hmm. uh, a food sensitivity challenge anymore than you did before. I remember his la yeah last summer I I took caffeine out of my system completely for two and a half ish weeks. Okay. The first five days were absolute hell on earth, and <clears throat> people I work with and my customers all kind of notice like, hey, why are you angry than, <laughs> than your usual disposition? I don't think I'd want to ever be within arm's reach of you without caffeine. <laughs> yeah, but it but it certainly did help, and I kind of slowly added back into it. I mean, I dropped down. I was doing gram to a gram and a half down to um, just you know maybe two cups of coffee a day now and don't feel the need necessarily that i did prior to that isn't that funny i'll say the same thing when i left platteville and lost access to to badger brothers rabid badgers um, so much caffeine so much caffeine <laughs> and then especially when you ask for a joanne special and get seven shots of espresso added sounds amazing <clears throat> and the barista looks at you like you're gonna have a heart attack right here in this store <laughs> Uh, but when you've reached a point where you need one of those to like get your day started, um, and then suddenly you stop or you, you wean off of that and you're like, whoa, you back to, you know, a, a big cup of coffee a day. You're like, this is a different life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was doing a cup of coffee before I was out the door and then I also had a pot of coffee programmed to brew. So it'd go off by the time I was getting into work and then I'd have two energy supplements and t typically two two calf, uh, uh, what do you call them, energy drinks daily. Wolf. Now, what I will say about coffee is that coffee is very high in pesticide latency. So we have a lot of people who have sensitivities to all of the pesticides and chemicals. Um, not that you should be drinking three pots of coffee a day, but <laughs> by reducing, by having organic coffee that doesn't have pesticides on it, you're reducing your toxicity load. And even by just making those small changes, you can really start to see your body not having to then fight off as much, right? Because not only is it having to fight off if you were sensitive to caffeine or coffee specifically, it's fighting off your sensitivity. But then you have all of these chemicals that you're hitting it with not once, not twice, but multiple times each day. Mm -hmm. So looking at how to reduce toxicity load. And again, food, removing things from your diet and adding them back in, it's a process. Mm -hmm. Like for me, Chocolate is a huge sensitivity for me, which is so depressing. It makes me really <laughs> tired. My anxiety skyrockets. And I mean, like, when I say tired, I mean, like, I fall asleep standing up tired. Whoa. 
and I have struggled. I have added it in. It doesn't make me feel good. I break out. I take it out. It's this whole game. But I got to a point where I was like, Sam, you can't keep doing this. You don't feel good, and you can't function the way that you need to be functioning right now if you keep eating it. So it became, it came down to this choice of like, I need, I know it sucks, but it sucks to feel this way. It's this is more painful to feel this way all the time than it is to mm-hmm. not have chocolate in my life. I was gonna say like, I don't think one, I don't think I've ever witnessed that experience. My my experience working with you specifically is that you're really high energy, uh, and I can't imagine a situation where you fall asleep on your feet, like. It happened uh, freshman year of college. I was in choir, and I was this was still eating uh, gluten, and I was eating uh, having Mountain Dew every day. And I remember holding my binder like this and falling asleep and like moving forward. And I had to call my mom after class, and I was like, I fell asleep singing, standing up. Was like, All right, time to reevaluate your diet. But what's powerful about that is it's in your control, right? right. I mean. As someone who's struggled with control issues, and I think we all have a little bit of that, <laughs> it's in your control to remove and add in foods, um, and you don't have to feel so hopeless and lost because there's a lot of people who don't have answers. I mean, I know a lot of people who struggle with um, IBS or any kind of inflammatory Crohn's colitis disease, and there are alternative ways to treat them where you don't have to be on heavy medications, and yes, medications are important for things like that but there are other options like food um, to help lessen your symptoms as well and that's really powerful because every every choice you make with your fork is important it can either help you or it can hurt you so it's about understanding which foods do that i just want to change gears here a little bit we in the intro mentioned you recently launched a podcast what you know it's titled good and good for you um, you're four episodes deep now. I mean, what made you want to start a podcast in the first place? Yeah. Well, I believe that podcasts are some of the most consumable information that's out there right now. I mean, I know that there's kind of a saturation of them, but I believe what's so cool about that is you get to consume really incredible information or have a funny podcast or a story podcast and it's all free. And for me, I found a lot of health and wellness podcasts that changed my lifestyle. I mean, I sleep different now. I, the caffeine I intake is different now. Products I use are different. And I think that they're just a really powerful way to share information. Um, I started when I first started the Samantha way, I started a Facebook live once a week and it was on Sunday nights right around this time. And I really enjoyed that, but I had quite a few listeners who were like, Hey, we enjoy your live, but it's kind of at a weird time for me. And I, I don't really, I don't really always have time to watch a whole video. Can we have other ways of consuming this information? So seven, eight, ten some months go by, and I finally uh, get the courage to do it. Um, and so I started Good and Good For You. And I started it because I want people to understand that there are other options out there for them. I think it's so easy to go to a traditional medicine doctor and be told, like, you know what? You're just stressed. It's just in your head. Go home. You'll be fine. And there is nothing more disheartening than knowing that you don't feel good and that knowing that something is not right and then having a medical professional be like, you're fine. Like being dismissed like that is wrong. And I got to grow up with a mom who never dismissed anything that I was feeling. And at the time, I'm sure some people were like, your daughter's fine. (laughs) But it was really nice to never feel like I was crazy. And we would always find the root cause of whatever it is. You know, my brother 
he struggled with chronic ear infections when he was little. So he had chronic ear infections for like the first year of his life. And a lot of times medical doctors are like, we'll just give you tubes. We'll give you tubes and that'll fix the problem. Right. That just happens to kids. Right. But that's not addressing what the actual issue is. Why are you getting ear infections? We don't ever talk about that. It's just like, here's a solution to your problem. It's just like, oh, your pancreas is acting up. Let's not pancreas. Your gallbladder is acting up. Okay, let's just remove it. Right. I mean, we have the society where it's like, let's just get rid of it or let's just put this (laughs) over here. And yes, there are absolutely situations where that's necessary. But what about if we started to look at, well, why is your gallbladder acting up? Why is it so inflamed? And what can we do to reduce that inflammation before we jump ahead and remove an organ that is in your body for a very necessary reason? Hmm. And so, so with like I said, four episodes in, what to- what <coughs> excuse me, what kinds or what types of topics have you covered so far? Yeah. So, my goal with this podcast is to bring on experts in all areas. Um, and really talk about cultivating health in all areas of life, which what does that mean when I say that? It's a it's a fun sentence to say. But what I mean is I mean let's talk about health beyond food and fitness because kale is important, crunches are important, exercise, food, very important. But I believe that if you work out all the time and you eat really healthy but you're in really – you're in an unhealthy relationship or you hate your job or you have bad mental health you're not really living a healthy lifestyle. It's like you're, you're putting, you've got like this wheel and half of it's flat. And so you can't really operate for a very full time like that. I think you can compensate for a while, but let's talk about what it looks like to have health in all areas of your life. Um, so, so far, uh, we've talked about curing cancer naturally, which is fascinating because we are starting to see some really positive natural ways of curing cancer, which is great because chemotherapy is wonderful, but it can be really toxic and really harmful. And as someone who lost their dad to cancer when she was 17, I wish she would have taken the steps to do something um, to to heal that way, but that wasn't mm. his choice and that's okay. Um, we've talked about food sensitivities and we will talk about them forever and ever and ever and ever, but it'll be a reoccurring thing on the podcast with my mom. And we talk about growing up with food sensitivities and how she changed her whole lifestyle, went back to school and had two kids under the age of seven. And then I had a a woman on recently where she owns her own gluten-free dairy-free catering company here in Nashville, which is great. Um, And she really works to make gluten-free and dairy-free fun because I think A lot of people are like, well, what do I eat if I can't have gluten? And you're like, there's a lot of options out there now. But it's about understanding and exploring and knowing that there's a lot of resources out there. And if you don't like to cook, then find a meal prep service that does gluten-free, dairy-free. And if you don't like to shop, then do the Instacart and have it deliver, right? It's about instead of just being like, well, I can't do it because I don't know how to figure it out. It's about finding the resources. So those have been the couple of episodes. I just had a podcast record on... Friday last week with a couple and we talk about communication. So again, this is a little outside of the health and wellness realm, but the same idea of like having healthy communication. How does that start? What are some tools and why is it important? Um, And it was really cool. The episode will launch next week, but it was really cool because we just kept coming back to this idea of like, in order to be good at communicating and having compassion for your partner, your friends, your family, you have to work on your own self first and you really have to get to the bottom of your own issues so that you're not projecting your own crap onto other people. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, as some as someone personally who's in their first year of marriage, like communication is huge. <laughs> that you suddenly don't realize it until you like really live with another human being. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're not really taught how to communicate, though, right? I mean, like that's what that's what I really am wanting to empower people to do is to explore realms that you're not always taught about. Um, and these two, they use specifically the Enneagram, uh, which is described as a personality test but it's much more than that it's a lot about like the behaviors Mm. and why we behave a certain way so it's you're numbered one through nine and you get a number and it talks about like uh, i'm a three and it talks about our main motivator is shame um so really understanding yourself first so that when you get to a place where you're in a relationship or a partnership or a business whatever you can understand the motivation so that you're not like, well, can you stop being such a jerk? Da, da, da. And instead you're like, okay, I know that you react that way because your main motivation is guilt or whatever, right? So it kind of, that's their communication tool that they use, which is fascinating. Um, but it's really about creating health and knowing that healthy relationships contribute to a healthy lifestyle. Because if you are in a toxic relationship and we have all either been toxic people or had toxic people in our lives, you know that that hinders your health for the long run, and it's about becoming aware of that. And so far, you've had you know guests on all your episodes. Do you plan on basing what you're going to talk about for the episode based on your guest, or is it going to be? Are you going to do anything like your live sessions, where it's you just giving information for the listeners to kind of digest and chew on? Yeah. Well, I think there'll probably be a few individual episodes. What I really want to do is I want to bring experts to my audience. That's really, I want to make them accessible. I want people to feel like, oh, I heard Dr. Bob Brokowski on Sam's episode, and now I'm going to reach out to him because my grandma's dealing with cancer, and I want to chat about alternative options. So I really want to focus on guests also, I'm currently editing my own podcast, so having a guest is much easier than me having to edit my own voice for <laughs> an hour and a half. Uh, so maybe when I can fund having someone edit, then I'll uh, do more one uh, podcast by myself. But the idea is really to bring the experts. And I did the um, the live for a year where it was just me, which I loved. And what I loved about that, though, is I loved the one-on-one interaction. I love that I can see people pop up on my screen and we can chat. It was really more about that for me than it was anything else. So maybe one day, but for right now, I'm focusing on um, doing just pretty much interviews with different experts. Well, I hear Casey was saying he has all this extra time on his hand and he wants to edit more things. I don't edit hey, our own damn things. <laughs> but I'm really funny and... Um, I could buy gift cards for coffee and send them your way. See? <laughs> if Casey doesn't do it, I also know a guy. <laughs> now, Perfect. If you had difficulties finding guests, you know, experts, if you will, uh, for your show thus far, has it been fairly easy to reach out and contact people? You know, I think uh, yes and no. A lot of experts that I want on my show have books out and they have – They're bigger names. And so naturally, I I understand that they can't take every podcast request that they get. Um, So some of them have been difficult. And that can be really frustrating. Let me start here. It's humbling to be told no because it is frustrating. And you were like, I am just trying to help you get your information out and get you to a new audience. Um, But it's also a good reminder that, like, you're going to get no's and you're going to have people tell you that 
what you're doing isn't right. And that's important on my own personal entrepreneur journey. Um, but that being said, I had uh, a woman that had recently on her Instagram asked for help. She had said the information I'm trying to share, the newspapers and the media aren't doing it justice and I need your help. And I reached out to her and I said, Hey, I'd be happy to help. I'd love to interview you. And then she told me no. So (laughs) (laughs) I've had some really great, uh, successes with it, but it is definitely been difficult. And, you know, especially when I'm interviewing functional medicine doctors, they have a full schedule. And so it can be Mm -hmm. really hard to get on their schedules. Um, and I'm looking at different labs who do some really cool testing and I got told to reach back in 2020. So (laughs) it definitely has had its uh, ups and downs, but I've been really grateful for the people that I've had thus far. And I've got some really exciting interviews that will be happening later this year because their book isn't out yet or they're working on stuff. Mm -hmm. So my goal is that if this keeps going, and the hope is that it will, that in a year or two I'll be having these people who once told me no asking to be on my show, which, again, I'd be happy to do because their information is really powerful and really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, yeah, there's been some there's been some ups and there's been some downs, but just trying to keep going. I, I mean, that, that's kind of the, the journey, right, of starting a business. And since that's kind of, you know, we're giving you a platform to talk about sensitivities in health and, and your stuff, but also to talk about how the business journey has gone. Uh, can you give everybody like a quick synopsis of how you've ended up from college in uh, UW Platteville to Nashville to quitting your job and starting a business? Like, well, like what? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I know that's a really quick story. <laughs> quick synopsis aren't really my thing, but I'll try <laughs> as much as I can. Um, yeah. So I went to college at UW Platteville and it was a beautiful four years. Um, and then the summer before I graduated, my now roommate and I came to Nashville for a bachelor, not a bachelor party, Jesus. We came down here for a birthday party. And before we left, I looked at her and I said, we could live here when we graduate. And that's about as romantic as that story gets. So we graduated. <laughs> and the spring break before we graduated, we came down here and we shopped for apartments and jobs. And we left with an apartment and no jobs and <laughs> praying that something would turn up. What, uh, and what was the what was the other after draw? We graduated. We moved down here. Was there another draw to Platteville or to Na- Nashville? I used to tell people when I was in college that they had a really great events field, which they do. There's, <laughs> events are big here, but I was thinking about it uh, a few months ago, and I was like, you didn't really know much about Nashville. I mean, we really came down here for this birthday party, and I was like, <laughs> I don't want to move home when I graduate. And uh-huh. I, I've always wanted to move to California or New York, and my mom has always said, you can always move home. <laughs> so I got to move away, but I don't know where I'm going. Right, yeah. And I can, I can tell you that California like, is overrated. Yeah, this looks good. <laughs> Uh, so I moved to Nashville and started at a destination management company called Destination Nashville, which is now PRA Nashville. And essentially, we specialize, and I say we because I technically still work for them, we specialize in Nashville. So conferences come into town, and our job is to provide everything but a hotel room. So they'll come in and they'll say, hey, I need a staff person to run my bookstore. I need four buses and four tours to the Bellmead Plantation. I need two musicians for general sessions. Or sometimes they're like, I need one chair. And we make that happen. Mm. Uh, we don't say no. So, um, so yeah, so that was my job. And I did that for a year and a half. And so very grateful for that company and everything they taught me. But I was miserable. I hated life. 
I worked crazy hours. And I remember turning 24 and calling my mom and being like, are you supposed to be miserable when you're 24? And she was like, uh, no, you're not supposed to be miserable ever, but no. Um, and, and then I wasn't nice. I worked at this job and I was unhappy and I was rude and I was sassy. And it just got to this point where I didn't feel like I didn't feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel appreciated and I didn't want to, I didn't, that wasn't fair for me to stay in a company that was just doing its job, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I could sit here and I could be like, well, it's this person's fault, but it has nothing to do. It was my thing and I didn't want to be there and me being there was more toxic than me not being there. Right. So I gave 15 weeks notice, which is <laughs> a really long time, just so you know. Uh, but I finished out all my programs and then I was done. And my mom was like, okay, what are you going to do now? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. So then I uh, started this program called the Marketing Impact Academy. And uh, her name is Shalene Johnson. And she does a lot of personal development stuff. And I went to a conference in California. And my entrepreneur fire was lit. And these women and these men were like, oh, food sensitivities. You could do food sensitivities and it would be great. And then I got home and I was really excited and it was great. It was exciting. I did a photo shoot. I spent a lot of money <laughs> to do all of these things, right? I had a logo made. I had a – anyway, uh, I fell into a pretty deep, dark depression right about May last year and was in a really bad place. And so, again, dealing with different issues in my life, being that grief with my dad and quitting my job and going through all of this loss and then trying to figure out who I was on top of that – And feeling like a failure at 24 and being like, well, I just messed up my life forever um, was a lot. So then I started seeing the therapist and she was like, okay, so you're spending a lot of money to create this. But are you actually doing anything for your program or are you actually working on an actual project? And I was like, uh, no. (laughs) From the outside, looks like I've got this like booming and I'm moving and I'm doing stuff. And I was – but I was just doing stuff that made it look good on the outside and mm-hmm. I wasn't actually working on the program. So I had to start therapy again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> been back in therapy for a while now and that's been really helpful because just like my eating disorder isn't about food, my depression wasn't about my entrepreneurship. It was about emotions that I'd been ignoring and trying to avoid. And that came back and bit me in the butt really hard. But – I also believe that we go through experiences so that we can help others. And I think that I've had a lot of people reach out to me who are like, hey, I don't necessarily want to start a business, but I'm thinking about doing this. Is it stupid? Is it dumb? And I always say no. I say, yeah, you got one life Mm -hmm. and you can either go out and you can try it and you can do it now or you can live with that regret. And I think one thing that I'm really passionate about is when people you love and care about don't believe in your dream. Mm. Um, and again, I've been very, very lucky. My mom's whole family are entrepreneurs pretty much. And it's just fascinating because my grandma is an actress and my aunt started a nonprofit that is now a huge nonprofit. My mom started a business and my uncle works at a nonprofit. And anyway, they're very supportive. But having friends and family who don't support you is the worst. Mm-hmm. It is so disheartening. And you're like, hi, excuse me. You're supposed to love and support me unconditionally no matter what. And you're like, go get a real job, Sam. <clears throat> right. Or when they think that being self-employed is just fun and you get to do whatever you want. And you're like, no, this is a lot of fucking work. Says the guy <laughs> burning scrap with drinking beer on a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it is. And so my biggest thing is if you want to do something and you want to start a business, there's no 
right way to do it. Um, but Rachel Hollis is a big person in the uh, personal development field right now, and she talks a lot about like people with cheap opinions don't get the expensive seats in your life, and I could not agree more, right? Yes. I have had um, people in my life tell me like, well, maybe it's time to get a real job. And, you know, like <laughs> I've wanted, I wanted to be this one day and you don't see me doing that. And you're like, yeah, you're also really unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> again, but again, you're on that path and you came into this world to learn a lesson and we all are learning lessons and maybe this isn't your path. Maybe your path isn't starting a job. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But if you're feeling passionate about something, letting someone else make you feel dumb for that it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with their own. Right. You should just use that as fuel to to move yourself forward and keep doing what you need to do. Yeah. Because they're not going to be the ones who look back and are like, oh, I regret that I told Sam to not do this. Right. I mean, like they mm-hmm. don't have to live with that. You do. Exactly. Well, I do remember the first time uh, Ben pointed out your Instagram and Facebook and I'm looking at it like, wow, this is really well put together with my shit pile over here. Like, <laughs> what the hell am I doing? And then I was listening to your podcast and this really nice intro comes in. You have a very uh, NPR like feel uh, with how professional it is. And I'm listening like, wow. I've been doing this for a year now, and I, God, I suck. <laughs> well, but I also think you, that's hard, too, because when, you, when you're starting anything, it's easy to look at anybody, right? Yes. And be like, I am doing it wrong, and I, but your audience is not my audience, and the people who are attracted to you like you because you do certain things a certain way, and, and you, have to, you have to feel empowered in that. And I think it's easy to tear yourself apart, and the hard work is coming when you're like, I am killing it, and I am putting on a podcast every week or every other week, and not everybody can say that. Not everybody can mm-hmm. say that they're taking time out of their 40-plus-hour work week to then put in work on something that they're probably not making money on or making very little money on, right? Like, that's where you're seeing that's, – that's powerful, and you never know who you are empowering by doing what you're doing now. So I always think Absolutely. that I, I completely get it. I have to limit my time on Instagram because I'm like – this, this person's got 150 million followers and I'm over oh, here Jesus. like... Don't even get me started on YouTube. <laughs> um, but what it comes down to is serving your audience. And I'm trying to get better at that too because it's never about the numbers. It's never about how many people. It's about what you're doing to serve the people who yep. care about you and who are following you. And I think that you guys both do a great job with that, right? Both of you are passionate about what you're doing and there are people who follow you religiously because they want to support you because they believe in what you're doing. And serving those people is all that matters. Exactly. I appreciate that. Thank you, Sam. Well, thank you. And for anyone listening that want to get in touch with you or want to follow your work, uh, what's the easiest way for them to find you? Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram as The Samantha Way. Uh, I have a Facebook page, also The Samantha Way. And we're working on it, but in the next couple of weeks or so, my website, which will be thesamanthaway.com, will be up, um, and that'll have my latest program on it. So that, fingers crossed, it is a lot of work, but it'll hopefully be up by the end of April, uh, beginning of May, where you can start signing up for my program. It'll be a six-week food sensitivity program where we do education, we do recipes, we do support we help you figure out if you're ready to take that next step and you're ready to figure out if you have a food sensitivity, then I'm here to help you out. All right. We'll look forward to that. 
and for and when I it took me a while to find your podcast at least on Spotify. I don't know uh, what other platforms you're on. Spotify is hard to find podcasts on. It is weird. Yeah, and I I tried searching the Samantha Way and you didn't. Or I'm sorry, good and good for you didn't you didn't pop up. But as soon as I typed in the Samantha Way, it came up right on top for whatever reason. If anybody's on Spotify listening. Yeah, it was that was a whole process. I uh, purchased a course again, really good at spending money here. Purchased a course on how to produce a podcast, um, and that's why I got like this arm thing and all the fun things. Yeah. Um, but it was a. Uh, it was thankfully for that podcast course that I did, where he like taught you how to do all the stuff. Also, just a side quick note for any entrepreneur out there or anyone who's interested in doing anything, all you need to do is know how to use Google. Because I cannot tell you how many times I've been like, how to function as a human being. (laughs) You've got millions of things out there. And that really is. I Google all the time, like, how to upload podcast. Free. It's out Mm -hmm. there. So you you just have to know how to do it and be patient enough to read through some articles. Six years as a university event coordinator. Number one job description, professional Googler. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I... Even I did a interview in person the other day and like trying to figure out how to do both microphones. I was on Google for an hour, but I figured it out. And then afterwards, <laughs> you're like, check me out. Right? Ben Finley. There you go. <laughs> I, I just cheated and I found somebody with a studio already in place and like, hey, can I come drink your beer and who, hang out? <laughs> who somehow... I somehow got the short end of this. I was just saying, you get no money, no no recompense, and you have to deal with Gordon. I bring interesting people to come talk to you every week, almost every week. That's really like Casey's the Casey's really the the host of this. <laughs> I'm just doing all the footwork for him. There you go, Casey. If you ever move to Tennessee, you let me know. <laughs> Well, thanks again for taking time out of your evening to be on the show tonight. And you, for anyone listening, you can find this episode online at blindninjastudios.com, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and CastBox. All search Rules of the Arena. Sam, what other platforms are you on for Good and Good for You? Um, I think all of them, question mark. I submitted a lot, and I don't know <laughs> if I got all the respect. I'm on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. Are there more than that? There's a couple. We can talk about that off air. I can give you a few. (laughs) (laughs) I submitted to a few of them. I don't remember. It was a long process. And you can also watch the live recordings and join our conversations on twitch.tv slash rules of the arena. To keep up to date on new and upcoming episodes, make sure to give me a like and follow on Facebook and Instagram. The handle is rules of the arena podcast. You can, and if you'd like to support the show, please go and give me a review on, uh, is it Apple Podcast now or iTunes or wherever you're listening? It really helps me out and allows more people to see the show. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, I want to hear from you. Shoot me an email directly, roapodcastinfo at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show directly, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash rules of the arena. It's this little tip jar I have set up. Uh, it's just a buck a show is all I ask. And again, that's rules of the re- uh, patreon.com slash rules of the arena. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>